Good morning, church family. Uh, first and foremost, thank you for praying for our, our family, uh, Christy and the kids and I, during this time uh, as we're um, fighting off this virus. So far, it's been uh, a very mild symptoms and a good fight. And so thank you for praying for us during this time. Um, it's part of my testimony of 2020. In fact, that's what we're talking about today. Uh, we're talking about our, our testimony. And you find me standing out here in the woods by my house for a reason. Uh, we're looking in the book of John at John chapter 1, verse 19 and beyond today. And it starts off this way. Let me read it to you. It says, and this is the testimony of John. You know, when I was thinking about that idea of a, a testimony in John the Baptist, I was really wondering what that picture looked like. What's the story that's trying to be told when it starts with, this is the testimony of John. So I looked it up in scripture. The Bible, uh, excuse me, Webster says that uh, a testimony is a declaration publicly or a statement of facts or evidence in support of something else. Well, if that's the case, then we all have a hundred testimonies. In fact, we probably have dozens every day. Some are grand and, and huge, like uh, the testimony about our wedding day or our child being born. And, and some are more insignificant. They're smaller. There's stories about our favorite camping trip as a family and all the details that came into play, or our, our, our favorite Christmas present, or the, the memory we love the best. Those little testimonies are fantastic, but they don't make up our defining testimony this testimony of, of us, our overarching story. And today, that's what we're going to look at just for a few minutes as we follow in the book of John and look at John the Baptist's testimony. So open your Bible back to verse 19, and let's check it out again. It says in this, verse 19 through verse 23, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, No. So they said, Who are you? We need an answer to give those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make stray the way of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you can imagine it, but John is out here in the wilderness, maybe not too different from where we are. Uh, he's down by a river that's not beautiful and pristine. In fact, it may look very similar to the creek that runs behind my house. And all of a sudden, as people are lining up to be baptized, here come a group of, of Levites and priests. Now, this is a big deal because the priests were the people who were in charge of the temple. They were ones making sure that all of the sacrifices were offered property. They kind of gave you the yes and the no about getting a seat in church, basically. They carried a lot of power and they were important. And the Levites, they were kind of their support team. Uh, men of Levi, so they could help serve, but not quite priests. And so here this band comes up and they ask John this question. And here's what they ask him. Who are you? Now they know his name is John and they know where he came from. But what they're really trying to say is define yourself. Just define yourself to us because we need to know who you are because you're not acting like one of us. Now, now that question is one that we get asked all the time. We live in a world and a society that's asking us, it's begging us, define yourself. 
Well, John answers his question two ways. First, the Bible says he confesses. He didn't just deny it, he confesses. I am not the Christ. Just in case you think I'm trying to define myself as the Savior of the world, that's not me. And then he goes on to say, well, listen to tell, let me tell you, tell you who I am. And he quotes a passage or a, a pushing together of multiple passages in Isaiah when he says, listen, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Like the prophet Isaiah said. You see, John in this moment tells them who I am is not important, but what defines me is that I am here just saying to the world that we need to wake up because the king is coming. You see, this is the significance of Isaiah. I Isaiah over and over in scripture tells the people of Israel, of Judah, to wake up, to wake up to their sins, to wake up to the holiness of God, and to wake up to the reality that those two are going to meet and they are not going to like the outcome if they keep living like they're living. And so instead, they needed to turn away, to repent, to wake up from this slumber of half-hearted committedness to God, believing that he would, he would not be holy in the end. He said, that's what I am. That's who I am. And that made me start to think about us this Christmas as we end the year and start a new year. If someone were to ask you the question, identify yourself, who are you? What would you say? Would you say... I'm a dad. Would you, would you find yourself being defined by your job or being defined by where you live or, or what you do? Or would you be defined by what you have or what you don't have? You see, we are so tempted to define ourselves by this environment. And this environment has a way of pointing back to us and to other people, but not to the king. And so the first question that John answered is an answer that we need to allow to resonate in our hearts. Are we thinking today that if someone were to say, define yourself, that we could stand with John and say, I'm just a voice trying to get the world to wake up to the holiness of God and the reality of our sin. Now, the conversation doesn't stop there. That doesn't make everybody cease. Look a little further in verse 24 down through verse 28. It says, Well, now they'd been sent from the Pharisees. And so they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah or the prophet? John said to them, Oh, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me in the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place at Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, now check this out. When they start asking him this next question, why are you doing what you're doing? It's a challenge to the lifestyle that he's chosen. They're basically saying, why are you choosing to live the way that you're living? If you're a nobody, then why are you bucking the norm? Why are you outside of the trend? Why aren't you following in our footsteps? You see, they were looking for followers of their direction. They weren't pointing people to the direction and the following of Christ or to the coming Messiah. And so, so John lays it out very clearly when he says, I hear what you're saying. I see what you're wondering. 
Why am I living the way that I'm living? Why am I baptizing? Now, John knew this would be a question because baptism, that was really something that was saved for Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism. That was the main reason Jews saw baptisms in a Jew's world, in a Jew's life. Because Gentiles, who weren't the chosen people, were were considered unclean from head to toe. And so there was a a ritualistic purification, a ceremonial act that needed to happen. And so they would go down into the water and they would repent of who they were, of the life that they had lived as a Gentile. Basically saying, I turn my back on that because I want to be made clean and I want to be one of God's people. Now, that's not a whole lot different than what we understand baptism as. In fact, you can start to see the parallelism, that there was a ceremonial cleanliness that happens. Now in Jesus Christ, we have a full cleanliness that happens. And so here, these Jews are lining up, waiting to get baptized, and they're already Jews. You see, a Jews, when they would baptize themselves, the word baptism is used in Luke of washing of hands one time. They would only wash the part that had come in contact with something that was unclean because they saw themselves inherently clean. And so to go all the way underwater didn't make sense. It wasn't, it wasn't for them. So, so John says, I get where you're coming from. I understand this routine. You don't think it's for you, but it is. Because I I am one who's saying, wake up for the king is coming. But I'm also one who's telling you that you and I need to get ready for the coming king. It's not enough to be awake. It's not enough to know the sun is shining. You have to dress appropriately. And what does baptism represent? It represents a confession. A confession that our life has not lived up to the standard of God's holiness. A confession that our life is in need of a Savior. Now, confession doesn't get us the whole way, but it does set the table for what is to come. Now, now John, as he's talking to them, asks these questions. He makes them wonder and ponder these things. I started to think, What are my actions pointing to? Is my life circling around who I am? When people watch my actions, do they start to wonder, what are you about? What are you up to? Are my lifestyle choices, are they they chasing after a story of saving for a goal? Are my actions, when people say, why do you live the way that you do? Am I just living so my kids can have an education or my wife can have a new pair of shoes? Or am I just, am I just working towards fame or recognition? You see, what John says is, look around me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not chasing anything. I'm not chasing some promise of a white picket fence that God has has, has given to me. I'm I'm not chasing the best plate of food in town. I'm not longing to have my cup filled by this place. Trees, grass, water, a little locust on the side, it doesn't matter. My life and my actions are chasing one thing, to tell others to follow me in getting ready because the King is coming.
What would your life look like in your wilderness? Your wilderness may look like your house. After Christmas, it may literally look like a wilderness. Your wilderness may be your work. It may be the grocery store. Wherever God has called you, are you living in a way that you are constantly saying, Lord, I want to be ready, and you're helping others do the same? Well, right after John says these words, listen to what happens in verse 29 down through verse 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen him and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. You see, first of all, John said, Who am I? Who am I? I'm simply a voice saying, Listen, wake up, get ready. And then he goes a step further and he says, What am I doing? I'm telling you, get ready, follow me. So finally, what does he say? Look, there he is. I, I can imagine the thrill that overcame John in this moment. You see, because he says, because we're ready, because we are where we are, you're in position to see the coming King. A few weeks ago, we talked about this word obedience, and we said that obedience is following God to the best spot to get the best view of what he's up to. Well, John, because he had listened to the Lord and the voice of the Lord and followed him on his mission to the wilderness and to baptism, was in the best spot for the best view to see the king he'd always been waiting for. Church, that's the testimony of John. Nothing fancy, nothing wild. But what he did, God used, and he changed the world for so many lives because John was faithful to make sure his testimony was a wake-up call to himself and everyone else was a call to preparation and confess. So take a deep look at yourself and see the reality that a holy God and an unholy man can't come together unless God makes a way to take away the sin that you have to admit you have. But when those things come together, behold the Lamb. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you. Lord, thank you for the reality of this truth for my life and for my family. Lord, thank you for this truth for our church. Lord, for all those who are near and who are far, God, that the Lamb has come so that we might have life, that our broken self might be made whole with a holy God. So Lord, as we enter into a new year, let us pay attention to our testimony so that the testimony of those at First Baptist Church, the testimony of the saints of God, 
would line up with the testimony of John. That we might ask the world to wake up, to get ready, and behold our King. In Jesus' name, amen.